Hey Dreamer, how is it going? Welcome back to Hey Dreamer Podcast. I am so excited about this episode where I'm interviewing Natalie Molina Nino. She's an entrepreneur, builder, capitalist, and tech globalization veteran focused on high growth businesses that benefit women and the planet. She's the author of Leapfrog, the new revolution for women entrepreneurs. And she also serves as a venture partner at Connectivity Capital Partners. She is seriously such a badass woman, but also such a beautiful and humble soul. I really enjoyed our conversation. But before we get into the interview, there is something I want to share with you. And hopefully it's something that will inspire you to just show up. So... Nobody knew, including Natalie, that the day that I was interviewing her, my baby Coco, my dog, he passed away. He passed away that morning. And I will create an episode just about Coco and grief and what I have been going through in the journey. And if you've been through that or if you're healing or grieving or feel like you're about to lose someone, I encourage you to listen to that episode, which I will be sharing this week. What I do want to say is that I had long been grieving Coco because I knew the time was coming and I knew he was holding on and giving me time to process and get ready. And that morning, Coco took his last breath and this was just a few hours before the interview. We had to schedule this interview since January, which is when I usually schedule all my interviews for the year. So because it's an interview that we had had scheduled for so long, I did not want to reschedule it. And in that moment, I thought, what would Coco want from me? And Coco, as you know, and as most dogs, they always want the best for you. They always want you to be happy. Coco was my emotional support. He was my comfort he was my partner he was my buddy my travel buddy like he would have wanted me to be happy and to do what I love and to show up and so that day I felt really peaceful when it happened and I put myself together and I decided to show up and I decided to do the interview and it was hard because there's a part in the interview where Natalie was like oh, my dog is trying to, you know, get me to pet him or pet her. And I was literally, like, trying to avoid talking about me, my dog, anything like that. Like, when she said that, I was like, in my head, you're lucky, you know. <laughs> you're lucky because my dog used to interview my Zoom calls too, and today he passed away. But obviously, I couldn't say that. And I want to share this with you because this is life. This is what happens things will come sometimes it's losing someone sometimes it's not as radical sometimes it's you're having a horrible day somebody cut you off on the street before a big meeting and they cussed you out and you still have to show up and you still have to show up in a way that's authentic that's you I didn't want to show up like sad and grieving and you know just the worst of myself I wanted to show up how I normally am right <laughs> um, and I remember the whole time I felt Coco was there with me and and one of the things that as a mom as a dog mom I wanted to honor him and I wanted him to know that I, I would be okay and so part of doing that was showing up 
to the occasion and being there I did avoid talking about me talking about my dog when she measured her dog and I just focused on the task at hand which was the interview which was Natalie which was her beautiful book and I want you to focus on this interview as well so we're gonna head right into it in a sec but I did want to share that with you partly because I would also find it super awkward for myself to know that that big something happened this day uh, my baby passing away and not mentioning it it is a big deal he deserves it he deserves a spotlight this is the day that he passed away and I will be sharing an episode just on that And my takeaways, if you want to listen to it, obviously, it's not exactly about business, so it's your choice. But I did learn a lot of lessons, and I'm still learning each day. And without further ado, thank you for holding that space, and let's dive right into the interview. I am so excited to be chatting with you today. I seriously love your book, in case you're wondering. (laughs) So thank you for being on the podcast. Something that I do want to share with the audience is that this book was so refreshing to me because mm. I think it has actionable steps. I think yeah. motivation is great, but sometimes some books are all motivation without any clear action steps. So I am obsessed and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. How are you doing, Nat- Natalie? Natalie or Natalie? I'm either one, Natalie okay. or Natalie. I mean, I used to have a... a- an aunt, one of my, uh, who helped raise me, who used to tease us about the American pronunciation. She used to go, Natalie, yeah. <laughs> just to like exaggerate right. the way that we say it in English. But yeah, either one is great. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for making the time. I know you're a super busy woman and you are such an inspiration to us all Latinas. Mm. So I would love to go back a little bit for anyone that for whatever reason doesn't know you. (laughs) And, you know, just kind of give us a quick background where you come from. uh, Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you got started into what you're doing now. Sure. Um, it's a pretty long and circuitous path, but, um, you know, start at the beginning. My parents immigrated here from South America. My father from Ecuador, my mother from Colombia. My father's family got here all because of my abuelita, my grandmother, who came here as a grandmother. So she was an immigrant to this country, but she waited, you know, until she was already a grandmother. And over the course of about, I don't know, 15 years on the salary of a of a seamstress in the sweatshops of Los Angeles. Wow. Don't explain the math to me. She <laughs> managed to get each one of her adult children and their spouses and their children to the United States. So she first um, immigrated alone. Yes. As an abuelita. Yes. Oh as an gosh. abuelita, as an abuelita who, you know, took no prisoners. She was, she was hardcore. Um, wow. And, and so that was my upbringing, right? So I grew up around um, both, you know, that manufacturing sort of garment worker world in Los Angeles, um, but also entrepreneurs. And then as I went on, you know, uh, thanks to all of their efforts and their businesses and their, you know, really hard work, managed to be able to go to college. Uh, While I was in grad school, I started my very first uh, dot com. Mm -hmm. Um, And then because, you know, anything that is uh, both sexy and traumatic and horrible all at the same time tends to form an addiction. I started four more companies. Um, and then about 
10 years ago, I left. I decided to leave tech, take a couple years off and kind of focus on me. Uh, I focused on storytelling. I went back to school. And then while I was there, I met a woman who's become a mentor and a really good friend who kind of gave me a swift kick in the butt and said, you don't get to just retire and have fun, (laughs) Um, you know, in the nice way. Um, Can we give her a shout out? What's what's her name? Well, a very important shout out because she is the attorney who argued the very important Supreme Court case called Casey uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and she's credited with saving Roe v. Wade. Wow. Her name is Catherine Colbert, and in fact, she just published a book called Controlling Women about all the things that we have to do now to make sure that we're protecting women's reproductive rights. And so she's the one who said to me, you don't just get to retire and have fun. She said, especially you, because when you started in technology, it was a lot better than it is now. So if the goal is to leave places a little bit better than you found them, you failed. (laughs) So you get, you have to get back in the game and you have to fix it or at least try, right? Try to leave places a little better than you found it. And so because of her back in 2016, I took inspiration. Um, I had worked with her to co-found the Center for Women Entrepreneurs at Barnard at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. I had worked with young, older women of all ages, of all backgrounds on helping them become entrepreneurs. But in 2016, I realized the real root of the problem of every problem that I saw around women entrepreneurs was very simple. It was money. Yeah. And so I got into finance, I became an investor. And so ever ever since 2016, I've been investing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's essentially where I am now. I'm still, you know, I, I still dip my toes a little bit in the arts. You know, I did spend a few years studying playwriting, but I did that to become a better business person. And also because I love, I love the arts. How do you think that that helped you become a better business person in what ways? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question because most people look at that decision and they're like, she lost her mind. What? Like she fell and bumped her head. She's an engineer. She has this career in tech and she, some of my friends would say she ran away with a, you know, theater circus. Um, but I think it made me better because in everything that you do, not just in business, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, but especially in business, you're selling. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, storytelling is just selling. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, there are people who seem like they're just naturally talented at storytelling, but there's a difference between charisma and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think that storytelling it's yes, it's an art. And yes, some people might have sort of a natural ability, but there is a structure. There is, you know, some real scholarly knowledge about what makes a good story, right? And I think that if you study with the greats, you end up sort of seeing the patterns, Mm -hmm. the things that work better, the ways that make a story more powerful and more authentic. And so, to me, what that means today is that, you know, like any business person, I'm constantly selling something, you know, yeah. whether I'm trying to get investors or even look, founders sometimes get to pick and choose which investors they take money from. Mm. And I have to make an argument for why it should be me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, we're all constantly selling, uh, whether you realize it or not. And I think it made me better at that. Okay, I really want you to share a little more about that because I think working and hearing stories of entrepreneurs, especially female entrepreneurs, it's not as easy. I come from a corporate background, but in communications. And so 
I had such an easy time communicating our brand with others, promoting it, telling the story. And I think a lot of women get in their head when it comes to sharing about their brand. I've met incredible Mm -hmm. women that are making such a big difference, but they don't really know how to communicate their message. And like you said, it's all sales, right? It goes back to sales. And I think for a lot of Latinas, and correct me, you know, if you have a different experience, but I think we're a lot of Latinas, we hear the word sales and it triggers sort of like a negative Mm. feeling or connotation. I don't know. Yeah. What's your perspective? Oh, I think it's true. And I think, you know, I talk about this in the book as well. We have the same negative connotation about debt. Mm -hmm. You know, there are just a lot of sort of these things that, and I don't want to dismiss them as like, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. We have reasons to have a negative perception around debt. And there are legitimate reasons because our community has been subjected to predatory debt for generations and generations. So it's not that we're reticent about debt because we made it up. Like we have legitimate reasons and we haven't been exposed to the healthy kind of debt, the kind of debt that is actually really good and important, for example, when you're growing a business. And I think the same thing is true around sales, right? Mm -hmm. We've been exposed to predatory sales you know, tactics, we have been exposed to the used car salesmen, right? And that sort of, you'd be surprised, sometimes you get to a fortune 500 level, and people are using those same tired old strategies, right? Yes, Uh, especially in corporate. uh, And they're creepy. Yes, completely, completely. And they don't feel good. And they don't feel in integrity. Right. But you know, when you're in New York City, and you're fighting with five other people to get the same apartment, and you don't necessarily have more money than they do, what are you doing? You're selling. Mm-hmm. you know, you're selling and you're trying to convince somebody to choose you, right? When you're yeah. applying for a job, like there's so many environments where you're, whether you like it or not, you're selling. But what you've got to do at the end of the day is find your sort of flavor, right? Yeah. Of doing it in authenticity, doing it in a way that feels natural and that feels mm-hmm. good to you. You know, if you're selling something that you believe in, especially if that something happens to be you, yeah. then there better be a way. And there is for everybody, there is a comfortable way to mm-hmm. be you know, in that mode of selling and you can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's the same strategy and it doesn't have to be predatory. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be inauthentic. Um, You know, some of the most charming interactions are ultimately ones that are a part, a part of that sort of slow over time. Like, you know, I got to know somebody, they weren't asking me for money, but over Mm -hmm. time it became clear that this is somebody that I wanted to work with. And, you know, the most beautiful sales are the ones where you never have to ask for them. And the person is begging to give you their money, right. Or to give you the apartment or to give you that job, whatever the thing is. And so, you know, I think that what happens is we haven't been exposed perhaps um, either to that sort of, I think it's not necessarily modern because people have been selling this way for a long time, but this sort of more authentic way of selling or we were exposed to it, but we weren't uh, identifying that that's what it was, Yeah. right? And so I think at the end of the day, we can all find somebody in our lives or somebody in our professional career who we can point to and say, I like that way, right? Mm-hmm. They modeled something that worked. Mm-hmm. It felt good. Let me emulate that. And then let me find maybe in the process, my own special sauce, mm-hmm. um, which I think is ultimately what storytelling is. You can't just use somebody else's tactic because it worked for them you kind of have to find your own flavor and I think as women too when I was climbing the corporate ladder before I quit glad I quit I'm a quitter too (laughs) I think sometimes like initially (laughs) I felt like I had to wear those hats and like act like them kind of thing even if it Mm -hmm. felt not genuine at times and initially it worked as well it does work right 
Um, but then eventually you get to a place where you get to be yourself and you get to be more authentic. But I also do think like sometimes you do kind of have to adopt certain behaviors or tactics or whatever to kind of get your foot in the door. Would you agree? How do you feel about that? I think it's true. I think what's important is to be discerning, right, about what are the things that you're going to try on for a little bit while you mm -hmm. build sort of your own version. Um, and I, I say that because, you know, I, I tell a story in the book and my dog has decided that she really needs me to pet her right now, by oh. the way. Um, but I remember that, you know, in terms of managing people, right, I was taught that the way to manage people in this is this very sort of cutthroat, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and also, um, you, that you manage people through example, right? So if you want them to work long hours and you're going to be the first one in and the last one out and you're going to show them how, you know, hard work is done. But at the end of the day, that just leaves them tired and you tired, right? So mm -hmm. I tried those ways mm -hmm. and they didn't work for me. No. And I think that's just part of the process, right? Sometimes you, you try things out and I think what's important is to be discerning mm -hmm. um, and to know when to say, yeah, that, that doesn't work for me. And you even given that advice, you saying the word, it's important to be discerning. It's such a female quality to, you know, to uh, have the tendency to want to follow what you're feeling, your intuition. And so I love that. And, and that's a difference between also having a female mentor, someone that you can relate to. So mm -hmm. in your book, there's a quote that I really love that um, it says, you are the source of your own supply. Do you want to share yeah. with the audience that story and how it helped you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is a world-renowned opera singer. Um, she's a Black New Yorican, amazing human being named Awilda Verdejo. Mm -hmm. uh, and she has a, a wonderful story. And it, it's a backstory that I love because it just shows you the kind of person that she is, right? So mm -hmm. she married young, uh, had a couple of kids and put her husband through PhD, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he pretty much like, and she did it by being a school teacher. Right. Wow. The day that he graduated with his PhD, she was like, my turn. So <laughs> she quit her job. I don't know the exact order of events because mm -hmm. I'm sure it was not this simple, but she applied to Juilliard because mm -hmm. she had always wanted to be a singer, an opera singer. And that. at 30 years old with two kids, she applies to Juilliard. She gets a full ride. She gets accepted and she goes to Juilliard and then she proceeds to have an amazing career has sung in all of the big opera houses in the world, had sung with Placido Domingo. I mean, she's a wow. rock star, right? She retires, she moves to Seattle. I end up meeting her there. And I say this because most of my best mentors have been people who know nothing about my industry. Mm. Because I think that sometimes you've got to look outside of your industry just for the kind of wisdom that is not specific to this industry or that industry. It's just, mm -hmm. it's human. Right. Yeah. And whenever I would hear those voices of you can't do this, you don't belong here. The last time you succeeded was a fluke. Who knows if that's going to happen mm -hmm. again, or if the last time was a failure, it's going to follow you and it's going to happen again. All, you know, those nasty little voices in our heads, I would get really panicked because those voices would get really loud mm -hmm. specifically when I was starting something new, which yeah. is ironic because people see me as somebody that's very good at starting new things. Yeah. And regardless of what the outside perception is, the inside, apparently, yeah. subconscious perception is that that's when I panic. We're way less on ourselves than we are that the way that people see us, for sure. That I feel everyone can relate to that, too. Sorry. A hundred percent. No, absolutely. You're right. And 
And then there's the pressure of people believe that you're really good at this. And this Mm -hmm. is the moment when you're panicking the most. And so I went to her at a moment when I was starting something new and I was panicking and I was just spiraling down these, you know, (laughs) loud, loud voices. And she said to me, you need to sit down with the idea that whatever you built before and whatever you will be building in the future is not really dependent on external forces. You keep looking outside for inspiration, for education, for this or that. At the end of the day, you are the source of your own supply. Mm -hmm. And I heard those words and they landed, first of all, so hard. Mm -hmm. But I ended up taking them on as my mantra. And I put it in the book because if anybody wants to use it while they figure out their own or just use Mm -hmm. it forever, I mean, it became truly like what a mantra is where at some Mm -hmm. point you just repeat it and it's just like muscle memory and you don't even think about what the words mean anymore because they're just ingrained in your head. And Mm -hmm. so now when I hear those voices and I do, everybody does, Mm -hmm. I just try to make the, you are the source of your own supply voice louder, right? It's literally like I hear those voices and then the recording starts to repeat in my head. And sometimes I'll even just sit and meditate and think about it. You are the source of your own supply. It's just such a profound idea that it became a mantra that gets me through some of my most difficult moments. And it was all because of somebody who knew nothing. I talk in my book about how it was in the middle, middle of a merger and she doesn't know M&A from M&Ms. Like this is not wow. her expertise. Yeah. And yet she was the most valuable counsel for me. Wow. And I, it's something that I want to touch on really quick is that it's, creativity it's just I think sometimes we have an idea especially you being in tech right like tech is tech creative work is different and I find that sometimes when I need to be creative when I need to get out of a funk doodling or coloring or Mm -hmm. like doing things that seem completely unrelated actually help me clear my mind and so it's definitely something to keep in mind and like you said reach out to people in other industries because they can have such wisdom like her (laughs) and they don't need to be doing exactly what you're doing. And in fact, sometimes we keep hearing the same thing in our, in our industry. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of those things that I do want to talk about with you that you also mentioned in the book is uh, speaking about industry and buzzwords and the things that people are always talking about, especially online is passive income. And you touched (laughs) on the word passive income. And I was like, yes, like I related to you on so many levels when I was reading the book and I was like, thank you for preaching. Uh, So for you, let's talk about passive income and what that really means in our, you know, now, like in our times. Yeah. Yeah. I I wish they, I wish we would rebrand it. Right. Because there's nothing passive about passive income right? People think, you know, I guess the classic form of passive income is I wrote a book. And then after that, I just sat back and the money just came and it just landed in my bank magically. It's like, really? (laughs) You've never seen an author on book tour or, you know, an author years after the book was, you know, published, Mm -hmm. still having interviews and meetings. And, you know, I mean, this is not a passive effort, right? The effort even of promoting a book and a book is often touted as like the classic passive income. You do all this work up Mm. front and then, you know, you would just passively wait for the money to show up at the bank. That's not how it works. And I think that no matter what quote unquote passive income stream that people are selling you, it's not to say don't do it. It's a bad business or Mm -hmm. don't do it. It's not a good idea, but go in eyes wide open, knowing that there is no such thing as I did a bunch of work. And then for the rest of my life, I sit back unless we get into the world of actual investing, right? Mm. Um, And even then I would argue there's 
a level of work that needs to be done, right? You Mm -hmm. probably should be paying attention to those investments, even the ones that go in the stock market that they tell you don't touch it for 20 years. Like, Mm. fair enough, but maybe worth keeping an eye on them, Mm -hmm. maybe worth, you know, understanding how markets work and what's happening Mm -hmm. here and there. I mean, that's not exactly passive, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the passive income streams that people are selling other people, it's not, again, to dissuade people and to say these aren't good businesses. But it's really important to go in eyes wide open and know that none of these frameworks work without you actually putting in a considerable amount of work, right? And mm-hmm. and it, there is no such thing as it's on autopilot after a while. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And I honestly believe that where we put our energy as well, even if something, say you write a book and it opens a lot of doors for you organically, let's say, right? There's still work that goes into it. But even then, if you if you really put more energy into it, if you're really like passionate about it and you're showing up for that, it can really take off. It can really get to the next level. So whenever I'm talking to someone, it's like, wherever you put your energy, that's where you're going to get out of it. Sometimes you do get lucky. Sometimes I get calls out of the blue, right? Quote unquote, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. with an opportunity. But when I'm actually putting myself out there, creating content, whatever it may be that works for you, that's really when you start seeing more opportunities come about. So I think it's so important to really show up for yourself in the areas that you want to grow and like kind of hack the grow, right? And I love that in your book, and these plant are those seeds, yes, to your yes, point. Plant exactly, those seeds yes. where you want to plant them, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. my my team has two instructions when it comes to the prioritization of my time. And one of them is you respond to press immediately, mm-hmm. even if there is a bunch of really important things, because reporters tend to have tight deadlines. Mm-hmm. They need something in an hour, they right need away. something in yep. a day, right? And and the only way that I can expect for the reporters to trust me and for me to be able to trust them is to cultivate relationships over time and to be reliable and to be right. Right. Um, And, and the second thing is anybody who is, who is a former student of mine or even now a student of mine at any place that I'm teaching, they get prioritized. I don't care if they're 18 years old and they don't have a single thing on their resume and it's not, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. you've got to bump a CEO off of my calendar to accommodate that 18 year old that has a question because not everybody believes in that, but for me, those are the seeds that I'm planting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's that's legacy. You are and, a seed. Yeah. And that's what matters. And so, you know, different people might have different priorities, but those priorities are clear. I want to be able to have trust in the people that I know. You know, you can't pay a reporter to write a good article mm-hmm. for you. No. And you can't show up at the last minute and expect anything from them either, right? You got to cultivate those relationships long view. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the next gen. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you're saying planting seeds. I do want to ask you a little bit more about your students because I didn't realize, are you talking about people that you're mentoring? If someone wanted to be your student or work with you, how does that work? Share with us. So I used to teach, right, a lot uh, when I was at Barnard at the Center for Women Entrepreneurs that I I, uh, co-founded with Kitty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a whole bunch of, you know, basically Barnard students who were former students of mine. mine, And now they're all over. I have one in the White House. I have one like J.P. Morgan, like they're, you know, they're all over the place. Those seats are now growing trees and plants and beautiful things. Wow, that's beautiful. Yes, they are. And then, you know, I still lecture. So I lecture um, every year at at Stanford at HBS. And yesterday I lectured at Georgia State, which I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but like, (laughs) it's an amazing group of people at Georgia State that I get to, um, you know, lecture every year, sometimes every semester. And so I occasionally do things like that where I'll lecture here and there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's beautiful. I do want to touch on one more thing that I feel like my audience would love to hear from you about. And I do want to say I don't want to give away a lot of what's in the book, because I do feel like people need to get the book. And we're going to do a giveaway to of one of your copies. But um, I do want to ask you about getting money, because I think that's one mm. of the number one questions, you know, when it comes to Latinas and getting money. And obviously, you have lots of tips in here. But if you want to share one with our audience, your favorite thing for a, a woman in business that's trying to get money funding or considering, right, getting some funding, what would you say to them? Well, uh, so I'm going to say two things. And the first okay. one's very simple. The first one is that the media would have you believe that the only form of money there is available and that you should pursue is venture capital. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind or you know, inform people who aren't aware that venture capital represents 0.05% of all business financing. It's a niche. It's a little bit like taking chemotherapy for a headache. And then it's less with women of color too, right? (laughs) And that's not right because, you know, there's something like, you know, less than 1% of women of color are getting venture capital. And that's ridiculous because Mm -hmm. we have way more than, you know, less than 1% of the good ideas. But even so, it's just, a form of capital that doesn't work for most people because, and it's not good for you. You're giving up a bunch of ownership in your company and everything else. And so don't allow the media to sell you on this romanticized idea that venture capital Mm -hmm. is the end all be all because it's not. And then the second thing I would say, and probably the most important one is that we were taught in our culture to be humble. Mm -hmm. And when you are out there fundraising and getting money for your company, at the end of the day, whether it's a bank giving you a loan meaning that they're going to make money off of you, Mm -hmm. right? And this is their business. Mm -hmm. Or it's, you know, some sort of equity investor or any other kind of investment in you. What you are doing is you're giving people an opportunity to either be a part of something amazing Mm -hmm. or to make a bunch of money or both. Mm -hmm. So as uncomfortable as it might seem, You can walk into those rooms with your head up high and with a posture that says, Mm -hmm. I'm doing you a favor. I'm giving you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Let me explain to you how you might be able to be a part of this, right? Mm -hmm. Anything short of that, anything that sounds like a supplication, Mm -hmm. please, I would be interested, would you put, is not welcome in a room where you are getting capital. If you walk into a room with anything that sounds like that, Turn around, get out of the room, get your mind straight and get back in the room with that little bit of arrogance that says, I am about to do something amazing for you. And if you don't want to be a part of it, fair enough, but you're going to have FOMO later, right? So that even when they say no, you walk out with the full knowledge that they're missing out, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they will, and maybe they'll regret it. And next time you come to them, they won't say no, right? Again, you're planting seeds for the long haul, but that's really important. That's really, really important. And I know that that goes against, in many ways, what we were taught in our culture to be, Mm -hmm. especially the girls, Yeah, (laughs) right? Be humble. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to money, there's no room for that. And it's not that you don't have to be yourself. It's just that you have to, how would you behave if you thought you were going to do somebody a big favor? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Right. But how would you behave if you were about to give somebody a lottery ticket and you knew it was the winner? Yeah. You you just have to know your value. So- Thank you so much. I think that's 
such a great note to end this segment with because now we're going to go live and we're going to be answering some questions on Instagram. So I could literally talk to you forever, but I know uh, you're pretty busy as well. So um, yeah, so we'll jump on the other call, but thank you so much for sharing all of this. Uh, like I said, I don't want to give too much away because I do think that people need to go and check out your book. It's super valuable. I read it twice back in the day. Now I had to freshen up on some of the tips because it was a few months ago when it came out. But I, I seriously took some of the, my favorite parts and applied it to my life. And it's been amazing. So thank you so much for sharing with our audience. It's been thank an honor. It's an honor to know that people like you are somehow resonating with this. All right. Thank you. Besos, everyone. Thanks for listening. Ciao.